God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Would you just take a hold of this service here, Holy Spirit? And you know how I've been working through this message all week, Lord. You know it's been on my mind, and my desire has been just to hear from you. I want a fresh word from you, Holy Spirit. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your mercy over my life. And now, God, I just pray that you move in the hearts of people. Um, Lord, I, I pray for a fresh word, a fresh anointing. I pray that you move in the heart of the person who feels like they know everything and move in the heart of the person who doesn't know anything. <laughs> Lord, would you just move in all of us, Lord? We desperately need you. Some of us realize we need you more than others. And I pray, Lord, that you just move here in a powerful way. Help us to see your word, Lord, in a fresh way and how it applies to our life. Give us a new perspective of our life and our relationship with you, God. May, in fact, may, may your purpose in our life be, be, uh, be seen. Thank you, God, for your grace, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it's all about Jesus, church, isn't it? This whole season is about Jesus. This is one of my favorite times of the year. You know, we have people coming to church because they attended a Christmas Eve service at Thorn Creek Church. That's, how, that's why they're here. So it's a cool, pretty cool time. Um, we are, uh, we've been, this is the third part of this series called Faith and Doubt that we've been in. And we've been looking at Luke chapter one. So we've just really been in Luke chapter one for three weeks. And uh, today um, we're looking at a guy named Zechariah. So Zechariah, um, him and his wife Elizabeth are going to have a famous child uh, named John the Baptist. And, and I love the way God is like, like ramping up and preparing the way for the birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And God is so good when, when, uh, when people fall in line with his purpose, God changes hearts along the way. It's beautiful the way God works. God has a desire for everyone to come to know him, and he just does that. So John the Baptist is about to be born, and Zechariah has been on his own personal faith journey. And this is a good man. This is a guy, him and his wife go to church. Him and his wife were in ministry. Him and, uh, he's a priest and, and his wife comes from a wonderful heritage of, uh, of priests and godly people. And still, when God spoke to Zechariah, uh, Zechariah really didn't believe. Zechariah, let's just recap this a little bit before we look in today's passage. Luke chapter one says, Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? How can I be sure? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Uh, first of all, this problem with Zechariah, this problem of doubt, first thing we have to see is we can all be inflicted with this problem of doubt. Doesn't matter whether you go to church every week, doesn't matter how many stories you've heard, we could have doubt in our life. And we can say, you know what? Um, the, I, I don't know if I, God can do this. I'm too old. I'm, I'm too young. I've been through too much. I have too much hurt, too much pain, too much whatever. And we can convince ourselves that there's no way God can do a miracle in my life. There's no way he can do something in me. We can have that Zechariah. That Zechariah attitude always looks at circumstances first and then God second. And the circumstances are louder than what God can do. And the Zechariah will say, you know what? I know all of this stuff already. I already know it. I can teach it. I can teach a class on it. But you know what? This problem is too big. That's Zechariah. Zechariah was a good guy. And as a result of this, because he didn't believe the angel, God himself, made Zechariah Mute, got out his remote control from heaven and just muted him and just muted him. So now we're going to pick up verse 57. So he's been mute or he's, he hasn't been able to talk for about nine months. And verse 57, here it comes. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, 
They all came for this circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What? They exclaimed. There is no one in all your family by that name. So they used jesters to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. Really interesting, they're using gestures. Zechariah could hear perfectly fine. But they treated him like he couldn't hear. Verse 63 says, he motioned for a writing tablet, and to everyone's surprise, he wrote, let's read it out loud together, his name instantly, say instantly with me, instantly. Zechariah could speak again. And what did he do? And he began praising God. Awe fell upon the whole neighborhood. <laughs> and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way, in a special way. Lord, give us, give us eyes to see, Lord, your word, and ears to hear your word, I pray. You know, the last part, if you keep reading Luke chapter 1, you run across what's his prophecy. It's a famous prophecy, and he, he prophesizes uh, about the, his son, John the Baptist, and how he's preparing the way for Jesus Christ. But uh, uh, Zechariah, um, he'd been quiet for a while. And as I looked at this passage, um, the verse, the, two, the part that really jumped out for me was Luke chapter 1, verses 63 and 64. So this is the entire sermon right here. These two verses uh, says, he wrote, his name is John. He wrote, his name is John. And then it says, instantly Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. So that's where the Lord took me in this passage. Like, like this is the story. I mean, the prophecy is what's kind of under the spotlight. Uh, it's known as Zechariah's prophecy. That's the title of the message, the prophecy. But there was something happening inside of Zechariah for nine months, something that nobody could see. You know, sometimes we can go through life and we can go through things that nobody can see. You know what I'm talking about? You can go through life and have all kinds of problems and battles inside of your mind and your heart, and you can conceal them. You can have a secret life and not tell anyone about it, even the person that lives with you. And you can have a whole life, a battle, a civil war going on inside of you, and you don't let anyone else see it, but you know you're not at a good place. And likewise, sometimes there's things going on inside of us that are good. We're, we're, we're turning to God. We're, we're, we're talking to God. We're, we're making decisions to be a better person. And nobody can see it first, but eventually they see it in public. And so many things that happen in private eventually become public for better or for worse. For better or for worse, that's what's happened. So what was going on in Zechariah for nine months? Not being able to talk at all. And Zechariah wrote, his name is John, and scripture says instantly, say it again with me, instantly, just instantly, just instantly, all of a sudden, his tongue was loose, and he was able to speak. After being quiet for about nine months and, and eight days of circumcision, all of a sudden, and I, I want to say this, this is a word that the Lord put on my heart, I want to say it with you, don't waste your words. Can you say that out loud? Don't waste your words. If you're watching online, type it out. Don't waste your words. One more time. Don't waste your words. What an incredible blessing that we're able to talk. Isn't that a blessing? What an incredible blessing we're able to communicate. Don't waste your words. His name is John, and instantly Zechariah could speak. I want to say this. Before you say a word, God knows if he has been worshipped in the cathedral of your heart and mind. Before you say a word. Before you say anything. God knows whether he's been worshipped in your heart and in your mind. He had nine months 
to work through some personal stuff. Maybe he was reassessing his spiritual life. Maybe he was thinking, you know what? I've been a priest all these years. I come from this great line of priests. I know the church. I grew up in the church, and I failed. At the moment, at the moment of opportunity, I could have, I'm talking to the angel Gabriel. At that moment, I had an opportunity to believe, and I failed. Maybe he was thinking, I'm not as strong as I thought I was. Maybe he was thinking, boy, maybe I was going through the motions. Maybe it was just, I thought I was better. I thought I had more faith. Whatever it is, he's working through some internal things. And we know this because the guy that you see when he speaks is totally different from the guy who, who he was before he was muted, before he couldn't speak. So he's working through these nine months of faith and doubt and personal assessment. Is God God in your heart and mind? In the cathedral of your heart and mind, is he worshipped? Is he worshipped? You know, we live in a day and age where it's really hard to have anything private. You know, people know what you click on. People know what videos you watch. Um, Google knows what sites you visit, (laughs) what you're looking for, what you're shopping for. It's really hard face. Whatever it is, Snapchat, whatever it is, uh, there, there's, there's no text that is safe. There's no phone call that's safe. None of that. You know what's the only thing safe right now? And I like the way T.D. Jake said it. He said, thinking is the final frontier of privacy we have left. Think about that. Your thoughts. It's the final frontier of privacy. So even more so, you should guard what you think. Don't let anyone else think for you. You should make sure that the thoughts that you entertain honor God. Because it's the final frontier of privacy where nobody knows what you're thinking except you and God. It's the final frontier. Zechariah was working through some internal stuff. You know what I'm talking about? You ever go to someone and say, how are you doing? And they say, I'm just working through stuff. And you're like, boy, there's like been like a, a whole meeting every day, 24-7 in their head, and they haven't, they're not sharing it with anyone. Have you ever been through that? Just working through stuff, working through stuff. You're working, you can make a decision in your heart and in your mind that has great impact, but it starts within your own thoughts. And it could be a simple one, like, I'm not going to lie anymore. That's an internal decision that you're making that has huge ramifications, or you know what? I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna live with this mess anymore. That's a big deal. Or you know what? I'm gonna pay attention to details from now on. That's a pretty big decision. Or I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not gonna lust anymore. I'm not gonna do that anymore. Or I'm not gonna look at this anymore. Or I'm not gonna overlook this area of my character anymore. Or, or maybe I'm not going to be lazy anymore. Or I'm not going to be a hypocrite anymore. And you could make those internal decisions in the cathedral of your mind, and it could have huge eternal consequences. What's happening in the cathedral of your mind? When you make a private decision with God in the cathedral of your mind, it's enough. I'm going to say that again. When you make a private decision in the cathedral of your mind with God, it's enough. It's enough. Just between you and God and nobody else knows what's going on in your head. And you say, I'm not going to live like this anymore. I'm not going to overlook this anymore. I'm not going to be this person anymore. And it may seem insignificant, but in your mind, something in your mind that is saying, you know what? I'm not going to play games anymore. I'm, going, I'm not going to live like that anymore. That private decision in your mind, in your heart, has incredible, incredible eternal consequences. Verse 64 said this, instantly Zechariah could speak again. I've looked at that word instantly. Do you know instantly pops up a lot of times in Scripture? In fact, other Bible versions doesn't say instantly. It might say immediately. 
You might say immediately. Here's some examples. In Luke chapter 8, verse 44, you hear about this woman who suffered from bleeding for 12 years. And scripture says, coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, say immediately with me, immediately the bleeding stopped. She just touched his robe. And immediately after 12 years of living with this problem, 12 years, just, just like that, the bleeding stopped. It's an incredible story because this woman is a woman also who spent all of her money on doctors. She was desperate. Have you ever been desperate? Another time, there was a blind beggar who was sitting on the side of the road and he heard about Jesus and, and he started crying out to him. Verse 43 says, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus. And then what did he do? Praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. But immediately he received his sight. I could only imagine what that's like. Someone who's blind and all of a sudden, immediately they can see. That's pretty radical. There was another time, Peter and John in, in the book of Acts, letter of Acts, they're going to church. And there was this, this beggar on the side right by the church doors and, and just, just asking for help and wanting money. And, and, uh, and, and, and Peter and John were going to church. And, and scripture says, in seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, this is what Peter did, and immediately, say immediately with me, immediately, he, his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with him. And what did he do? Walking and leaping and praising God. You see that? You see these examples of people who experience a miracle touch of God, the hand of God on their life. They're undeniably healed. And all of a sudden, they want to worship God. You know, the disciples were on a boat once, and Jesus stood up and said, Hush, be still. And the sea calmed. And then they wondered, Who is this guy? That even the waves obey him. Who is this guy? Well, I look at this word immediately, and I'm going to be honest, I, I, think, um, I think we all like the word immediately, don't we? Don't we like immediate things? We don't want to wait. We want things right now. We don't want to, I mean, how long have I waited for my coffee, or how long have I waited for my meal? How long am I have to wait for someone to serve me? How long do I have to wait for this thing to upload? How long do I have to wait for this thing to save? How, I mean, we don't like to wait. But if you look at all these stories, and you look at all these stories, there was a season where there was waiting. And when the miracle came, it came immediately. But there was a season of waiting. We're such self-centered, consumer-driven people. We like the immediate. But here's what the Lord showed me. Immediately comes after the purpose of God is completed. Sometimes God is just working, and it's just not the right time. And the miracle will come at the right time. But many, many times, there is a greater purpose that's at work that you don't see with a clear eye yet. God is working, and he's doing something, and you just haven't discovered it yet for whatever reason. Verse 64 says, instantly, Zechariah could speak again. And here it is. And he began praising God. It's the first thing Zechariah does when he opens his mouth. He just starts praising God. That's what he does. He doesn't, like, for the first time, just say, you know, why did you do that? Why did you treat me like that? And why did you serve me that, you know, that chicken? You know I don't like chicken. And why did you do that to me? And why did you, why did you, he doesn't come out like that. He comes out, and he just starts praising God. Now, he's married to Elizabeth. Now, marriage takes work. It takes work. Grace and I just made 30 years just a few days ago, and it just takes work. She has to work to put up with me. I could be hard sometimes. That's the truth. But I, I'll tell you what, it's, it's hard in a relationship. What happens when you have a Zechariah that just doesn't talk? Whether the husband or the wife, it's hard. It's hard to be in a relationship when you have someone that just doesn't talk, isn't it? It's hard. I mean, I can't only imagine how frustrating it was for Zechariah. I mean, I, I can't only imagine how many notebooks he went through writing everything down. 
I can only imagine how many pencils he went through. <laughs> I can only imagine how frustrating it was for him and frustrating for, for, for Elizabeth too. Saying, you know what, honey, I don't know what you want. I don't know what you want. And, and, and maybe that's where the gestures thing started coming in or something like that. But for nine months, he was quiet. Now, maybe God said, you know what? The things that you need to learn start with you shutting up because you've talked enough. Maybe that was part of it. God just says, I want you to learn to shut up for a while. You've already shared too much. So nine months of self-reflection and nine months of listening. You know, the best learners are listeners. The best learners are listeners. The best communicators are listeners. The best leaders are listeners. Think about this. Put it this way. The moment you open your mouth, you start to teach people about who you are. The moment you open your mouth. When you meet someone that you don't know and you see them, you know what you do? You listen. You listen. You wait for them to start talking. That's what we do. If I ran into someone, you know, out on the street, so to speak, and someone outside of Thorn Creek that doesn't know me, and I'm just sitting there, and someone, someone comes up, and you know what they're doing? They're waiting for me to talk. Because when you say your words, you know what happens? You reveal what's in your heart. And our brain records every word that comes out of your mouth. And we conclude in our brain, oh, Boy, she's a bitter woman. Wow, he complains a lot. Wow, she, he's immature. Wow, she's immature. Well, he's so self-centered. Wow, he's got a lot of pride, or she's got a lot of pride. Wow, she thinks pretty highly of herself. Wow, she's vain. Wow, he, whatever it is, we come to these conclusions as we listen to people talk. And we hear the words that come out of their mouth. So be careful, because when you speak, you're letting other people know, this is who I am. This is who I am. Zechariah has been quiet for about nine months. I'm guessing, I'm guessing only he and God knew what was happening in the cathedral of his heart and mind. People had no idea he was going to church every day. People had no idea he was praising God within his own, I mean, it was just inside of him and it was just like building up and it's just building up and it's just building up and he can't talk and it's just building up and then eventually he prophesies. It's just like, praise God! It's just been building up for nine months. Nobody could see it. What comes out of your mouth exposes who you really are. When you sit with someone, and you listen to them. You learn about their heart, their opinion, their anger, their pain, their bitterness, their thoughts, their joy, their sorrow, everything. Everything. Don't waste your words. Say it with me. Don't waste your words. Don't waste your words. He begins to praise God. And I think Zechariah's praise is just different. Zechariah's praise was just different. Have you ever run across someone who went through a change? Like an authentic change. Maybe it was you. Was there an authentic change in your life? Or maybe it was someone that you know, and you're like, and you're talking to them, and you're listening to the words that come out of their mouth. And you're thinking, you're different. You sound different. Your words are different. What happened? People don't know, oh, you've been to church in the cathedral of your heart and your mind. Whatever you think about, that's why it's so important to be careful about what you think about. That's why it's so important. Just because it's unseen doesn't mean it's not important. Just because it's unseen doesn't mean it doesn't have impact. It has huge impact, maybe more impact, because eventually what happens within you becomes visible to others. Eventually, 
I always find that scripture interesting when, when Jesus says, you know, Jesus is asked, what's the, what's the most important commandment, right? And he says, love God. Love people, right? Love people. Love one another. But he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. And in the, in the, in the New Testament, he, he plugs in with all of your strength. Well, when you look at your, your heart, with all your heart, that's internal, right? Nobody can see your heart beating right now. I mean, you can, we can see you're alive, but it's internal with your heart, with your mind. Well, who, who can see your thoughts? Only you, you know your thoughts. Nobody else can read your mind, right? With, with all your heart, with your mind, with your soul, and with your strength. Those are all internal things. And Jesus says, if you really want to love God, then it starts with this internal decision to love him with your heart, with your mind, with your soul, with your strength. It's internal decisions you make in the cathedral of your heart and mind, saying, I'm going to love God. And Zechariah has been going to church. I love what Hebrews says. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice, a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to him. It's a sacrifice of praise. I worship you, God. You've been so good in my life. I worship you. I love that song that we just sang about the promises of God, don't you? It's beautiful. Hasn't God been good in your life? Hasn't God been good in your life? The one thing you can do is use your mouth to praise God. You can use your mouth to praise God. The most powerful thing you can do is use your mouth to praise God. Glory to God. You can sing. Glory to God. You can say, thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Don't keep your mouth shut if you can use it to praise God. Too many times we just use our mouth to communicate our opinions and our preferences and, and whatever else it is. The better way to use your mouth is to use it to praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Say thank you, Jesus, with me. Say thank you, Jesus. Somebody say hallelujah. Say hallelujah like you mean it. Thank you, Lord. Somebody say thank you, Lord. Are you with me? Use your mouth to praise God. What an incredible opportunity we have to use our mouth to praise God. That's why when we come to church, we should be singing nice and loud. If you're not singing, you're not praising. Oh, use your mouth to praise God. I know some of you are like, oh, I'm singing inside. Oh, come on now. You share with others how you feel, don't you? Use your mouth to praise God. God, Zechariah had it all built up inside of him. He's like, I got to let this thing out. Verse 65 says this. Like, here's the consequence of this whole thing. Awe. Say awe with me, awe. It's a word we don't use a lot. And in fact, the closest word we use is awesome. Awesome. But it comes from awe. Awesome comes from awe. Awe fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Now, all they saw, they may have gotten to know Zechariah, and maybe like, okay, the guy's been really quiet for a long time. He says he ran into an angel when he was serving that day at church. I don't know what's happening, and, and that's just, he's been really quiet. You know, we can't talk to Zechariah. He can't talk to us. Where's Elizabeth? Where's the, bring her over here. I need to communicate with someone. I need to talk to Zechariah through Elizabeth. I don't know what, and for nine months or so, he's been quiet, and all of a sudden, he can speak, and scripture says, awe fell upon the whole neighborhood. Like, everybody knew Zechariah could talk now, and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. This word awe just jumped out for me, and I, I, I did a little research, and here's what it means. Awe is a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear or wonder. Reverential respect mixed with fear or wonder. It's this combination of like, this is scary, but oh, I'm in wonder. 
I can't, I, I, I have fear, but it's, it's a fear. It's like something bigger is happening here. Something greater is happening here. I, I'm not as big as I thought I was. And I'm also really, I'm in wonder as well. That's what awe means. Are you familiar with the galaxy of Andromeda? Andromeda? So this is, uh, this is the Andromeda galaxy. It's the nearest large neighbor of our Milky Way. The nearest, this is our neighbor Milky Way galaxy. It's Andromeda. It's bigger than our Milky Way. In fact, it stretches more than 200,000 light years in diameter. The Milky Way is 150,000 light years across. It's bigger than us. It is, it is one of 100 million galaxies. It's approximately 2.5 million light years from Earth. 2.5 million light years from Earth. The Andromeda galaxy contains about a trillion stars. The Milky Way has about 300 billion. It consists of 100 billion stars excuse me, billion suns, 100 billion suns, and each is larger than our sun. Are you in awe a little bit? Here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced most of us are not. You know why, guys? Because I think we're, we live in an awe-deficient world. We're not in awe anymore. Maybe it's because we have so much information. Maybe it's because we feel like we have so much knowledge. Maybe it's just because of the time we live in, but we're in an awe-deficient world. We look at the stars, we're not really impressed. God moves, yeah, who's luck? We're in an all deficient world. The Lord just put this on my heart, guys. The Lord put this on my heart. That's why you have some people that are like, God is moving, God is moving, look how God's moving. And then you have the other persons over here going. That's why. We're in an all deficient world. When was the last time you've been in awe over something? When was the last time you were like, oh my goodness, God is real. God is real. When was the last time you've been arrested by the presence of God and an awareness that Jesus is real and he answered your prayer and he's moving and he's alive and there's a heaven and then there's an earth and God is moving and he is present. When was the last time you've been in awe? When was it? We live in an awe-deficient world. It's like, I don't get impressed very easily. See, you can look at the stars. And if even looking at the stars, I mean, we don't understand. There's so much out there we don't understand. And we can look at it with pride in our hearts and feel like, I've seen enough. And walk away. Not awestruck at all. I, I looked in Scripture, and I thought, well, how many times in Scripture is awe talked about? And it's quite a bit. But one time was in Matthew chapter 9, uh, Jesus healed his paralytic. says, but, but so that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then he said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he got up and went home. But when the crowd saw this, they were, what church? They were awestruck. And they glorified God. I mean, when was the last time you saw God move and you didn't understand how it could happen? You didn't understand how things could work out. You didn't get it, but you saw it and you were awestruck. And you're like, wow, God is in this place. God is moving. When was the last time you've been awestruck? Another time in Matthew chapter 15 says, Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went, out, went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. Verse 31 says this, 
the people were what? Amazed. When they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. When you look at the early church, one key verse in Acts chapter 2. Here it is. You want to know what, what was so beautiful about the early church? A lot of things are beautiful about the early church. But here's, here's one, verse 43. A deep sense of what? Of awe came over them all. They were living in a deep sense of awe. They were going to church expecting God to move. I mean, going to church early, I, I got to go. They were watching online. <laughs> Whatever it is, they were expecting God to move. They were living in a deep sense of awe. Our biggest problem is, is we just have convinced ourselves that we are so smart that we can predict when things are going to happen. And when things happen, like the way we predict, we're like, yeah, I knew it would happen like that. I knew this would go wrong like that. And our, our, our whole faith is wrapped up in the confines of our limitations. Our whole faith is confined to our history. Our whole faith is confined to what we believe to know. Are you living in a sense of awe? Really? There's a time when Jacob had a dream. He had a dream of a ladder to went up to heaven. Verse 16 says this, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. Think about that. I want to say that again. Jacob said, The Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. You know what that tells me? That tells me that God could be in this place and you're not even aware of it. God could be present and you're really absent. Because then it goes on and he says, but he was also afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. Once he figured it out, well, I was like, wow, this was awesome. I didn't know it was awesome until I, God was here. What? And it is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. And I want you to hear this. People lack awe because they lack awareness of God. People lack awe because they lack awareness of God. If your God moves the way you think he should move, if your God inhabits the way you think he should inhabit, if your God works the way you think he should work, then you're not living in awe of God. Then you're not aware of how God is moving. Because God is not confined to your rules. He's not confined to your intellect. He's not confined to your knowledge. He's not confined to your IQ. He's not confined to your parameters. He's not confined to your preferences. He's not confined to you at all. He can do anything he wants because he's God. Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, the everlasting Father, the great I Am. Nothing is impossible for Jesus. Nothing is impossible for Jesus. People like all because you lack awareness of God. If you're not aware, like Jacob, if you're not aware of God's presence, you're not in awe. Jacob said, oh my goodness, you were here and I didn't even know it. It makes me think how many times is God present in our life and we don't know it. How many times is God present in our home and we don't know it? How many times is God present in a church and we don't know it? How many times is God present in that, in that chance encounter and we don't even know it? How many times is God present in that interruption in our day and we don't even know it? How many times is God with us and we don't even know it? We lack awe because we lack awareness of the presence of God. And God is at work, friends. God is at work. What an incredible time to share the love of God today. We should be sharing it. Fear has never been greater right now in our world. What an incredible time to talk to someone about the love of God. Our breath, 
The brevity of life has never been more heightened. What an incredible time to talk to someone about heaven. What an incredible opportunity. See, God is at work. I'm convinced he's stirring up this revival. He's getting ready to do a new thing. And he's getting ready to, to just, just launch the church. But the, the, the biggest, saddest, most, most unfortunate thing is there are Christians who are not aware of it. And they're focused on themselves. And they're not in awe. They're not aware God is moving, and wow, there's something way bigger. There's something way bigger. Here's what I've learned about people who lack awe. People who lack awe. Here's what I've learned. They lack spiritual urgency. Think about that. They have no spiritual urgency in their life. There's no urgency to get right with God. There's, there's no urgency to get rid of this. There's no urgency to consecrate themselves to those. There's no urgency to surrender to God. There's no urgency to, to, to turn to Jesus. There's no urgency at all. They lack spiritual urgency. The other thing I want to say about this, the people who lack awe, and the Lord just showed this to me recently. I want you to, here's the other thing. They lack spiritual insight. They can't see anything past their arm. They cannot see anything past their knowledge. They lack spiritual insight. They can't see how God is moving because they're not aware of God. They lack spiritual insight. All they see is their problem. They don't see how God's working through that problem. All they see is their problem. They lack spiritual insight. They're not aware. And the last thing I would say, people who lack awe, is they lack spiritual purpose. Their goal is to make sure they have a comfortable lifestyle. Their goal is to make sure all bills are paid. Their goal is to make sure they have what they want, when they want, and, and whatever they want. That's their goal in life. That's it. They have no spiritual purpose to tell someone today about Jesus or they have no spiritual purpose to tell someone or to, or to, to live out their God-given purpose. They don't have that urgency or purpose or insight. They lack all of those things. Let me ask you this way. If you're one to say, oh, I, I'm aware. I'm aware of God. If you're one to say, oh, I live in awe of God. I mean, you sure you want to say that? If you're one to say, I am spiritually aware. I just know God is real. You bet. I just know there's a heaven and there's a hell. I just know this. I mean, I know God is faithful. Oh, yeah. I know it. Oh, yeah. I know it. Let me ask you this. Who are you going to tell today about Jesus? If you know, who are you going to talk to about Jesus? Who are you building a relationship? Who are you inviting to Christmas Eve services because life is short? Who are you reaching out to? 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 If you utterly believe, if you utterly believe, then who are you reaching out to? Are you living out your spiritual purpose? Are you a slave of Christ? Are you saying, God, use me any way you want? I'll do whatever you want. It's not about me. Use me any way you want. The Lord reminds me of that all the time. I got about 10 doctorate degrees from people that have hurt me. Way more than that. I know some of you have maybe a hundred, I don't know. But you know what God tells me over and over? Reuben, you be faithful to me. It's just life, isn't it? There's a reason why people who, when they get older, they become bitter. There's a reason behind that. When they get older, they become harder. There's a reason behind that, right? Because relationships are hard sometimes, right? Anytime you're in a relationship, it can be hard. But the Lord reminds me and says, Reuben, there's a bigger purpose here. 
It's not about you. And incidentally, Jesus was beaten. He was bruised. He was slandered. He was accused of being possessed by the devil. Jesus was ultimately nailed to a cross. Jesus was tortured. I mean, all of that. And I look at my Savior and I think, well, if my Savior, my Savior could do that and go through that and he was faithful. And I want to be like my Savior. I want to live in Christ Jesus. That's who we really are, right? If you call yourself a Christian. Are you in awe? Are you in awe of God? If, if you're honest and you're like, I don't know when was the last time I've been awe, in awe of God. I, I just feel like you need to humble yourself before the Lord. There's a reason behind that. There's a reason behind that. If you're like Jacob and says, surely the Lord was here and I had no idea. And now that I know, wow, this is an awesome place. It's like, well, it was awesome before. You just didn't know it. You just didn't know it. Turn to the Lord with all your heart. Whatever God's doing in your heart, this is a time in the service I want to say, get right with God. Because it's not only your soul at stake, but it's everyone who's in contact with your soul as well. Because when your soul is right with God, other souls will be impacted as well. Oh, this is so good. The Lord's giving this to me right now, guys. This is exactly what happened with Zechariah. Nine months of being mute. And when he comes out and he's been worshiping God in the cathedral of his heart and mind, and after nine months, he's like, praise God! God is so good! Scripture says the entire neighborhood was in awe. In other words, his circle, his mission field was in awe. And it's a beautiful thing when someone turns to Jesus with all of their hearts, your neighborhood will be in awe. You know what? You can't argue with a changed life. You can't argue. No atheist can argue with a transformed life. You can't argue with it. And when someone has been changed, authentically changed, transformed, a new person, all of a sudden, others are in awe. Don't waste your words. Don't waste your words. Use your mouth to encourage others, to worship God, to praise God, to lift up his name. Well, I want to give you an opportunity to turn to, turn to the Lord, wherever you're at. I want to give you an opportunity. And if you're watching online, this is your opportunity to turn to Jesus. God has a plan for your life, and he loves you so much. Turn to him with all of your heart. And it starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. God sent his only son into their crazy world, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, let me pray for you. If you're ready to receive Jesus, would you say this? Say, Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord. I ask you to be my Savior. Forgive me for my sins. As best as I know how, I turn to you with all of my heart, and I ask you to take over my life. Others of you, maybe you consider yourself a church-going person, but maybe it's been a long time since you've been in awe. Maybe, maybe you have not been worshiping God in the cathedral of your heart and mind. Well, turn to God right now and tell him, God, right now, I choose to worship you in my heart and in my mind right now. Like Jacob, open up my eyes so that I can see your present. And I want to live in a deep sense of awe, just like the early church. I want to expect you to move, and I expect you to move in ways that I don't understand, because you're big, and I'm small, and you're God, and I'm not. So have all of my heart, all of my mind, God, and work in such a way in my life that I'm constantly awestruck. I'm just awestruck of who you are. In Jesus Christ's name, our Lord, we pray all this. Amen. 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 When you keep reading uh, Zechariah's prophecy, 
It's beautiful. He's talking about his son who's going to pave the way for Jesus. In verse 67, it says, And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. Isn't that great? The Lord redeems. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. That's Jesus. He raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Glory to God. Do you have any enemies in your life? God delivers. God redeems. Salvation from our enemies. Verse 72 says, To show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. He's a promise-keeping God. He remembers what he said. He will come through with his word. And it says, The oath which he swore to Abraham, our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. Glory to God. You can walk without fear. You can serve God without fear. You can live life without fear. Glory to God. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. God wants you to live a holy life, a righteous life, because he is with you and he's given you his Holy Spirit. Verse 76, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. John will be the prophet of the Most High. Who's that? That's Jesus. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, Jesus, his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Remember John the Baptist would say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what he said, the forgiveness of sins. People would turn to Jesus and experience the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness. Anybody sitting in darkness right now? And the shadow of death to guide our feet 